Please turn in your Old Testaments to Psalm 123 as we continue in the Psalms of Ascent. This is the Word of God. Psalm 123, a song of ascent. To you I lift my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hands of their master, as the eyes of maidservants look to the hands of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till He has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. Psalm 121 taught us to look to God beyond our troubled situations. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 123 today teaches us to look to God when we deal not with difficult situations, but when we deal with difficult people. Got any difficult people in your life? You have people in your life that you just don't want to see them coming around the corner. You have people in your life who are contemptuous. That means they disdain you. That, that means they speak down to you. Or, or at a minimum, you know, quote, they don't like you. And they like to show you that they don't. You have people in your life that have just hurt you. And it seems they will continue to hurt you. And you don't want to see them coming. Or people that are just so arrogant and blind in their personal obsession with themselves that they just minimize you to lift themselves up. If you've got people in your life you don't want to see coming, this psalm is for you. Because we all struggle with people. Now, I don't want to make too much of a distinction between situations and people because people call situations. But situations sometimes are those things that we can work through and there's, there's a time and maybe there are solutions that can be brought to bear. But I'm going to tell you something, you cannot change a person. If you haven't figured out that you can't change a person, you would make your life a whole lot more better if you would figure out you cannot change a person. Only God can change a person. You struggle with people. In fact, this is so common that it made the, the greatest hits of the traveling psalms of, of Israel, the psalms of ascent. You know, they, this is where the, the Jewish people would come out from their little towns in a caravan and then that road would hit a more main road and that caravan would would join with another caravan, maybe hear some coming from a foreign country, and now they're all, you can see them all in a big line, and they are singing to the Lord. This is the playlist, the songbook of, of all the songs as you go up to Jerusalem to meet with God in one of the three feasts. And here's Psalm 123, and let me tell you, it's not sung to the tune, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. I mean... You read Psalm 121, you read Psalm 123, and you say, these, these, these uh, worship songs are a little bit of a downer. 
You know, this is, Lord, what am I going to do with this person? Lord, there's just so much contempt and there's arrogance and there's scorn. And this is the songs of preparation for worship. And why? Because this is real life in a real fallen world. But you know what? The key, the key is to look to the Lord because with the Lord there is help. With the Lord there is mercy. In fact, the old scholars, uh, particularly Charles Spurgeon in his Treasury of David work on the Psalms, call Psalm 123 the Psalm of the Eye. And by the eye, he doesn't just mean his vision. He doesn't just mean that he's trying to see God. By the eye, he means the, the need that he has. It's kind of the question, when you're struggling with a person, where do you look? You understand that language? Who do you look to? Where do you look? Where do you take that need? Do you look around you for, for other people to help you? Do you look inside of yourself? Psalm 123 says, look to God. In fact, if I were to put it in one sentence, I would put it this way. Look to the Lord until He gives you mercy. It's very simple. Stanza one is look to the Lord, and stanza two is until He gives you mercy. And the psalmist begins with this, look to the Lord. To you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of maidservants look to the hands of her mistress, just so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he gives us mercy. What the psalmist is saying, because the word I is used four times, and looked, look and lift your eyes, what he's saying is that this is more than a glance. Where we take our struggle, where we look, this is what we might call a stare. Psalm 123 says, you've you got hard things in your life, you've got hard people in your life, Instead of looking at them, instead of looking at other people, instead of looking within yourself, you need to stare at God. Don't try to do it on your own. Let the one who is enthroned, the one who is over all, lead you. We are to stare at a divine person who loves us when human people don't. You get that? When human people don't, Stare at the one who does. Now, I love how Psalm, the, the, the first verse in this psalm starts with the second person pronoun. You know, the, the Jew, Jewish people, when they talked about God, there was a certain name for God, and I'll give you that name in a moment, but they wouldn't even write it because the name of God was so holy. And so, for the Jewish people, there's always... Uh, a deep reverence of the Creator God, the Sustainer God, the three times Holy God. And we look at Psalm 123 and it has the word you. It doesn't say I look to God or the Mighty One. I look to you. You see that in verse 1? To you I lift up my eyes. Oh, you who are enthroned. This is language of relationship. This is language of welcome. It's as if the psalmist is saying... I know Him. I'm on a familiar basis with the one true and living God and He wants me 
to look to Him. And there's that second person pronoun that is so amazing. And it is a long, focused look that is welcomed by God. The reason we know that is uh, the psalmist uses uh, two metaphors that are really strange to us culturally in 2013, but would have been very commonly understood at that time by the original readers and and the original singers uh, in the pilgrim way of this psalm. It's like, what is all this, you know, servants and masters, maid servants and mistress staring at hand stuff? They would have gotten this immediately. You see, what it's about is in those days when people entered service under folks, um, it was considered something you did with all your heart. In fact, there, there are scriptures that talk about people that serve and they, they don't do it with all their heart and that's not pleasing to God. And, and when, when they would train you to, to serve someone, it wouldn't just even be by voice commands. You know, like, Jeeves, it's time for you to bring the dessert. Or so it's, it's kind of like Downton Abbey, but more. Because in these days, the servants were so in tune with the master and, and the mistress, depending on whether it was a woman or a male servant, that, and wanted to please, they would stand right up against the wall with their hands crossed over their chest, and they would watch intently, I mean stare, at the hands of the master or the, the mistress. And so, you know, when it was time for more water, all there had to be was just a little cocking of the finger, and suddenly it would happen. When it was time to clear something away, all it would be would just be a movement of the hand. And, and, and the person so intently focused on the master would immediately move into action. Must have been really something to behold. This kind of seamless communication through hand signals. Why is he using that? Because everybody at that time would have gone, that's how intently we are to stare at God. The one that we call you. Who welcomes us. The one who is enthroned. And, and we, 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 we do it in such a way that the only modern equivalency, I'm trying to get my words out, that I could give would be something like this. And if you've played sports, you know about signals. You know, if you're running the bases in baseball, who, you, who are you looking at? You're looking at the base coach. Why? Because the base coach is going to give you the signal to keep going around. Or the signal to stop. Why is the base coach doing that? Because the base coach can see what's going on in the outfield and how fast the ball is coming that's going to tag you out. So you don't worry about watching the ball. You don't worry about playing out, you know, big picture in the game. You just run the bases and stare at the coach and you will know what to do. Same thing happens in football. You know, I wish I could do some of the, the funny signals that they do. Some of the calls that they make. But here's the point is that you're not playing on the team well and you're not doing well if you're not focused on the coach. So, Psalm 123, how intense? Being treated contemptuously, you're dealing with a difficult person, you don't look around you to other people first. You don't look within you, don't watch Dr. Phil, he doesn't have the answer. First, look to the Lord 
To you I lift my eyes. Oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens, just like a maid and a, a servant stare at the hands of their master or mistress. So we look intently to the Lord. So let me ask you, when you're dealing with this high-pressure situation, where do you look? I mean, you know, you can just get mad and punish them. Or you can go talk behind their back. Or you can go try to figure out what... Or you can just withdraw and just stuff it down and, and let it all turn inward. I mean, where do you look? He's there. Stare. You must stare at God. And the second stanza tells us why we must stare at God. Because God gives us mercy. Because God loves us. And He knows what we need in the midst of our pain and our struggle. And so that's the second thing. We, we look to the Lord till He gives us mercy. And that till is not always a great thing either, is it? Till, meaning it's going to be on His timetable. But till He gives you mercy. You know, the one enthroned is the one that loves us. And, you know, you, you look at the, the whole thing about contemptuous, arrogant folks. And, and you have that to you in light of them. But then, when you ask for mercy, notice it goes from you to that word that they would not literally would not write down. And that word is Yahweh. Yahweh. Yahweh is the relational covenant name of God. That's the, the name that God gave Moses and said, Here's who I live in the eternal present. I am the God of faithfulness to my promise. I am the God who will love you irrespective of you and will always be there for you. The Lord, the Lord, abounding in love, rich in mercy, forgiving, forgiving. I am faithful. I am love. And it's promised to you. And you can count on it. To you, the one who has promised. To you. Now, I'm going to tell you, that, that strikes my ear as very helpful. Meaning, look, I know you're a mess when people get in your face and you don't know what to do with them or whatever the situation is. Just run to your Father. You understand this? Those arms are open. That's Yahweh. That you is Yahweh, and you can, you can run there. Look at verse 2. So our eyes look to the, the Lord, Yahweh our God, till He has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Yahweh. Have mercy upon us. We go through stuff with folks. And sometimes it can cause us to, to lose heart. Sometimes it can cause us to, to feel cast down but the lord is on the throne and he is the one who loves us you know you cannot go around you cannot beat the one who's on the throne you can't the throne rules and the throne overrules and it is very important for us to get this straight this morning, that no one can go around the rule of the throne. Whether it's that person that you struggle with, whether you're the person that somebody else is struggling with, 
You cannot go around God. It will not work because the throne rules and overrules and the contemptuous will fall under the actions of God and the righteous judgments of God. You can just count, you just, you can just count on that. You understand, it's not like things are going on and God's like, oh, I can't believe something else happened. I can't believe I let that slip. No. No, the throne rules. The guilty will by no means go unpunished. That's what's so great about the gospel. Because the punishment that we deserved was upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. The punishment that that has to be carried out on our sin was carried out on Him. And so we He takes our sin. He takes our punishment. We get relationship. We get Yahweh. We get the one who cares. Why don't we look to Him, you see? Why don't we run to Him? To you, to you who is enthroned, have mercy on us, O Yahweh, have mercy on us. Psalm 123 is really interesting because it starts personal and it moves to kind of the big picture of God's people, of Israel, now the church. We see that as one continuous people of God from Genesis 3.15 and the promise of Jesus all the way to maps. That is just God redeeming a people for Himself. But in Psalm 123, it starts with the person, to you I lift up my eyes, but it moves to the plural. So our eyes are upon you, Yahweh, our God. So this can be applied to that person you struggle with in your life and what to do with them. This can be applied for Yahweh's care as the the leader, the king, uh, the true king and leader of his people, the king and head of his church, uh, and his care for his covenant people. You know, even today, God's church is treated contemptuously. And, and I, I think I would be I think I would be remiss in not saying that is true in this country. And I will just tell you right now, because I read a lot and talk to a lot of people, it's more true now than it was ten years ago. And there is a disdain in many quarters of our culture for people who believe that the Word of God, the Bible, is the final authority over faith and life. And there is a disdain for such. But that doesn't even begin to get into the the texture of what it's like to be a, a Christian in North Korea. Y'all do understand, a lot, of, a lot of focus on North Korea this week because of the nuclear tensions and, hey, we pray for peace. And you ought to pray for peace. And you ought to pray for those people that are representing um, our government in, in, in the midst of these, these negotiations. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of believers in North Korea. In fact, I've heard stories about what's going on in their lives. They are just indiscriminately persecuted and killed in fact the kind of the the underground railroad to get out of korea which leads through china like 1300 miles or something like that and has to have safe houses all along the way is almost exclusively believers every one of which are risking their lives to take a north korean in in china to get that person finally over to south korea it's an amazing story It's hard being a believer in North Korea. It's hard being a believer in the Middle East this very morning, is it not? 
there are believers having to leave Egypt by the masses. It's hard being a believer in Iraq. It's hard being a believer in China. So is God just not watching the store? No, the throne rules and the throne overrules. And I'll get back in a moment to how that looks to these people singing and walking on their way up to Jerusalem. But I think I'd like to first talk about how it looks personally. We have seen such pride among folks. And look, we're all, we, we, we are the proud ones too. So this isn't like, don't you hate it when people preach this sermon as if like our church are the good people and then those are the bad people? We're not. No, we're all the fallen people. We're all the sinful people. We're all the proud people. But I have definitely seen such pride among some folks who think they can live any way they want to irrespective of God. And they can treat anybody any way they want to irrespective of God only to see that they could not elude God. They could not elude the massive wear and tear of the terrible consequences of their attitudes and actions over time. It is soul erosion. You can smooth it over, you can pull it up, whatever you want to do. But you will not be able to get around God. It will churn all night long and you will look 115 years old because you can't get around the throne. I promise you. Nobody can. And years later, it's interesting. I'm 51 in this week. Years later, it's interesting to watch. You know, you get old enough where you can actually know people and see their lives. Very interesting to watch people And very often, what you see is a person who has wasted their lives on themselves, making the people around them desperately unhappy, only to find out in the end that they are empty and sad. All that equaled empty and sad. You know why? Because you can't beat the throne. Because we need Yahweh. We need love. Do not let people have power over you. God has not given them that power. We need to double jump them on the checkerboard and go straight to God who is over them and over the situation. And we need to ask God to work. We need to ask God to change us. And look, don't ask God to punish them. That is not our business. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. You give place to wrath. In fact, one of the distinct uniquenesses of the upside-down kingdom of Jesus Christ is we not only pray, uh, we not only should not pray for the punishment of our enemies, we should pray for our enemies. We should love our enemies. We should pray for those who despitefully use us. Now that is freedom. You understand that? You're not held captive by those people. You're not reacting to those people every single day of your life. You say, well, I feel like I am. Well, guess what? Look up. Go. Look at Yahweh. 
The long run always belongs to God. Do you believe that? The long run always belongs to God. And God will give you mercy. But you know, this does deal with God's church looking to Him. Many people think that this psalm was written as a what's called a post-exilic psalm, meaning after the exile. Some of you may remember that the, the greatest king in the, the world, the greatest superpower king of the world at that time was the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, who besieged Jerusalem, built ramps, tore down the walls, tore down the temple, murdered people indiscriminately, and then took uh, so many of the people captive to Babylon by the waters of Babylon, the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps in the willow trees, our captors. The Babylonians demanded some, sing some of those, those praise, that, some of that praise music from, from Israel. Oh, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land? Oh, Jerusalem, may my right hand lose its skill if I forget you. Oh, Jerusalem... May my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I forget you. And here we have the Psalms of Ascent. We're going up to Jerusalem. And maybe they are thinking about the fact that, you know what? God is on the throne. And God took the Babylonians down. Because you can't get around the throne. And now He sent us back with a might, His mighty arm. So maybe it's not just their troubles, maybe it's their deliverance, you see, that they're remembering as they're seeking God. Or maybe it's when God, uh, God's work through Moses of 70 years in Babylon. Can y'all remember how many years in Egypt? 400 years. Now, could I just kind of make an aside here for a moment? Because, you know, you start thinking about what kind of contemptuousness and that they may have been dealing with as God's people and you go back to to Egypt we Americans we got God on the watch like we got a situation we got a person we don't want Lord we're looking to you 48 hours later we need that fixed that's the way I do and I have to come back 48 hours later and go oh yeah that's right I don't sit on the throne I'll give, it, I'll give you another 48 hours, God. How many generations died and were buried in Egyptian soil without ever seeing the deliverance of God? Did that make God any less a deliverer? Did that make God deaf? No, we struggle with these things. We say, I looked at the throne. I looked at the throne for 48 hours. And what did I get? Nothing. 400 years? Many nights I prayed. I can hear Mariah Carey singing it in my head. 400 years worth of nights. Because He is God. Egyptians don't move God. Egyptians do not change God's timetable. This isn't about us. It is about God. In fact, we learn in, when God told Abraham that they would be in captivity for 400 years. It's pretty wild when you think about it. So do we not, if we don't get what we want, do we not look to God anymore? You understand what I'm saying? No. Where else are you going to look? Where else are you going to go? If you belong to God, 
through Jesus. This is a great psalm for you. What do I do with that person? What do we do with, with the persecution? To you, I lift my eyes. O oh, you who are enthroned, I look to you, O oh, Yahweh our God, until, till your timetable, you have mercy on us. Verse 2, till he gives us mercy. Roger Elwell says, mercy is that divine quality by which God faithfully keeps his promises and maintains his covenant relationship with his chosen people despite their unworthiness and unfaithfulness. Meaning, regardless of who we are, he remains merciful. As First John puts it, he is faithful even when we are unfaithful. God is merciful. He is the one who loves us. He is the one who is merciful. I love what Eugene Peterson says in his book, uh, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Hating that title. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's kind of tongue-in-cheek. He puts it this way. He says, the prayer is, have mercy on us, not give us what we want. We pray... Have mercy upon us, not be nice to us because we've been such good people. Give us what we want. We've been nice. We've been good. You owe us. This is the way it works with with you and me, right? Wrong. Talk to, to people one day in heaven who lived in Egypt for 400 years, if you want to hear differently. No, we are not good people. We need God. We are not asking for punishment for them, but mercy for us. And mercy for His church in the midst of these fiery trials. Out of that covenant relationship that never goes away to to get what is needed. No. It is only by mercy that we even have a relationship with the one true and living God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, Romans 5, 8. Stare, as we just sang, at the nail-pierced hands. And you'll understand what mercy looks like. You see, mercy is what God does in the gospel. The God who is mercy will always be there for us, irrespective. And we'll need to repent. We'll need to look to Him. He'll always be merciful to us as fallen humans, walking with Him, having to believe and believe, repent and repent and grow and grow. But let me tell you something. The God who is mercy also will give us mercy on a continual basis, meaning we do have tremendous pressures in our life. We do have tremendous needs, and He who is mercy will continually give us mercy. And so, staring at God, Psalm 123 style, is like praying this. God, let the gospel be true in my life today. Let me see again 
Let me, in the face of this, believe again. Let me rest again. Let me follow under your sovereignty again. Let me be directed by you again. He is on the throne. And he loves his people. It is the staring at God psalm. The psalm of the eyes. Living in mercy. That's what a covenant relationship bought by Jesus Christ looks like. Living in mercy, looking to Him for mercy. And I ask you again, before we close, where do you look? I mean, isn't that a fair question? You know what it is right now. You know what it is right now, don't you? I do, you do. Where are you looking I want to close by reading two New Testament texts that are very precious to us. They both come from the book of Hebrews. The first is Hebrews 4.16. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. To you sit in throne. The throne, remember you can't get around the throne. The throne is power. Well, to you, if you've put your trust in Jesus, the throne is the throne of grace. And you are welcomed. Go there. You will receive mercy and grace in your time of need. And then Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. As the eyes of servants look to the hands of their master, made servants to the hands of their mistress, Think of these words. So let us fix our eyes. What? Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We talk about scorn. Scorned its shame on our behalf and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you also will not grow weary and lose heart. Look to him. Stare at him. And you will receive mercy. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we're just kind of caught up right now in a moment of looking in a realistic way at our hearts in light of this passage. We all have people we struggle with. Would you forgive us, first of all, that many of those struggles are produced in our own sinful hearts, in our own proud hearts. But, oh, Father, rather than us looking around or within or running away would you be so merciful as to lift our eyes to mercy that we might yet again see at the right hand the lamb slain the ever present ever welcoming mercy for sinners like us Lord, would you lift our eyes to you, Yahweh our God, 
until we receive mercy. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us. O Lord, we pray that you would not only grant that kind of change within our hearts to look to you, but that you would grant change within us in the midst of a situation. And Lord, we pray for our enemies that you also would invade their hearts. And we pray that maybe even what you do in our lives could make a difference in theirs. Only you can work in such a way as that. And then, Father, we think about the pressure on your church, your bride, those who are at ease, who are pushing down and holding down your church, persecuting your church, Lord, would you have mercy on our North Korean brothers and sisters this week? If they not only deal with nuclear threat, but Lord, they deal with the normal contempt in their lives for Christ. Would you give mercy to our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and in China and in other places. And Lord, just as when there was such persecution in the Roman Empire, in the time of the apostles, and how fully one-tenth of the Roman Empire became Christian in the midst of it, so much that the father Tertullian said the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. Lord, would you honor that faith and that mercy seeking and gifting in those places in such a way that your church would only grow. Lord, would you cause us in this place to have a humility to serve the people around us. Lord, would you cause us to be able to turn the other cheek because of Christ, to love our enemies, and to see people drawn to Jesus. That more and more people, that the Middle East would become Christian lands. And even here, more and more people would see the reality of you, O Yahweh, who sits enthroned. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.